Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rogue Report podcast in association with the Sun and Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back after Sunland's draw away at Swansea City. Joining me as always is Chris and uh, well, let's get into it Chris because it's a funny one this. I don't know whether I don't know where we're going to go with it but um, yeah, it's a, it's a funny old game football isn't it and uh, having a look at the result you might think oh Sunland got a draw away from home, point clean sheet. Doesn't sound too bad, that. But, uh, yeah, the story of the game perhaps changes your perspective on that. And, of course, we're here to talk about it. So, how are you, mate? Yeah. I'm all right. I'm all right. It's it's weird, isn't it? It's one of these goalless draws that everyone's diving into. You know, there's there's normally there's a goalless draw and everyone goes, oh, it was nil-nil. It's crap. Yeah, yeah. it was one of them. But everyone, everyone's, like, diving right into this one. It's weird. <laughs> it's like, but it's like everyone's getting into, like, super. I know, look. We're sitting here talking about it, analysing it, so you know we're probably as bad as anyone else. But hmm. but everyone's getting really deep on this, like a nil nil draw, and everyone's going to town on it. And it's uh, it, it seems like it's a nil nil that people are trying to take a lot from, which is odd. It is, and I think the 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 reason for that is possibly, and well, not possibly, it's it's almost certainly because Swansea had ten men for most of the game, and. I actually think, and I've said this a few times to people when talking about the game and stuff, I actually think if it's 11 v 11 for 90 minutes, we we win that 2-0. I think I said 2-0 yeah. to you. I, I think it was it was that comfortable up until the point they got the red card. But a red card changes everything because all it, all it did was it made them put 10 men behind the ball. And we'll get into it, but I think you've got to give Swansea credit first and foremost. They defended brilliantly. Yeah. They, they were outstanding. I thought if you're there... You know, a fan of Swansea or their manager, you're absolutely buzzing about the way they played because they were just excellent defensively. They they put their bodies on the line multiple occasions. They were organised, even though we tried to trick them with you know tactical changes and we made you know a lot of substitutes during the game. They basically just held their line, and you know, yes, and we will get into it. We had plenty of chances to score, but at the same time, I think Swansea were great. And you know, when you look at it, they missed a penalty. Can you imagine if we'd we'd lost this? If we if we'd been sat here talking about a one nil defeat, haven't played like that. I mean, I, and Mowbray said that. I listened to one of his interviews after the game, and again, something else we'll get into. But he mentioned that and was keen to point out. You know, this feels bad, but imagine how bad it would have felt if if they'd scored that penalty. And mm. the hero of the day really was Anthony Patterson for saving it, because mm. Dan Neil highlighted this in his BBC Newcastle interview after the game. But he highlighted that Patterson has 
done this so many times. He didn't have the stats and I don't have them in front of us either, but it feels like he saved almost every penalty he's faced as as Sunderland's number one. He, his record of saving penalties has been outstanding. And um, to be honest, when Jamal Lowe ran up to the ball and I seen his run up and he like took his time and he stuttered up to it, I thought, ah, he's missed this. Because it was just too complicated. If he just runs up and belts it, he probably scores. But he gives Ch- uh, Patson a chance to see what he's doing and... That was that was it really, you know, he saved it. But the story of the game is ultimately about how we didn't convert a chance despite having a ridiculous amount of, of shots and, and chances to score and crosses across the box. Got them in front of us now, the stats. 25 shots, three on target. I mean, it yeah. says it all, doesn't it? it? Well, it does and it doesn't. <laughs> it, tells, hmm. it tells part of the story, but... I mean, as you as you called it, I mean, you were talking in in general terms about the game. Swansea did what we didn't against Middlesbrough when we went down to ten men. They they had a perfect game plan. They they changed it. And actually, the time we should have took advantage of it was the period even before the sending off, but it was before half time, because yes, they were they were decent after the sending off before half time, but. They got in at half time and their manager sorted them out. I thought Michael yeah. Duff got them in at half time. He earned his coin at half time. He, he did he did a job on us. He got them organized. They came out with five at the back. They put men behind the ball. So you're talking about 23 shots, three on target. Yes, it's not a fantastic ratio. It, it is crap on paper. But the problem is with the way Swansea set up, and as you said, credit to them, the way they set up five at the back, packed the midfield. We then kept getting we either got to the byline and got slightly we, we kind of got in behind them but they got had so many players back and in around the box and you know in the important areas that it was tough for us to pick a pass out or we were poor in picking the space out and picking a pass out or we ended up resorting to long range shots yeah so that kind of tells the story that yes it's not brilliant 23 shots and, and three on target and all this sort of stuff but we struggled to get in those chances where we could get that shot in on target and we could we could kind of have a clear cut chance and that that was the way Swansea set up. But like I said, I think we should have taken advantage of of the dominance in the first half. I mean, I know it's obvious to say, but well, we could have, we could have been three 0 up before they even had the man sent off. So it's 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 that. I think I think Mowbray mentioned that. You know, you have three chances and with when it's eleven v eleven. But again, let, let's give credit to their keeper, by the way, because we're yeah, talking yeah. about chances. Mm-hmm. And and we it's not as if we wasted them as such. You know, like I thought Roberts' chance, of, you know, when he cut inside and it kind of hit off the post. And I thought that was a great save. And actually the save from Clark, you know, yeah. that, that was about five minutes five minutes before the red card. Well, that, that one was interesting because the ball comes from the right-hand side. I think it's Hume. Whips a ball across the face of goal. And Rusin's runs too late. And it's like yeah. the ball's clearly for him. If Rusin's runs better, he runs onto it. And in, but instead, if it goes to Clark, and it is a good save. But yeah. it's again, it's about those fine margins that Mowbray keeps talking about. In that, in yeah. that occasion, the ball fizzed across where Rusin was, but it was like he ran a little bit too early. So yeah, you know, and, and that's that's maybe why that, that's where we're struggling in terms of getting on the end of these chances. Is that it's just. Everything seems to be great until a point, and then it's like we we do look toothless, which seems weird being one of the top scorers in the league. But it is a problem, isn't it? That we're go- yeah. we're not getting goals from centre forwards. But there's there's two things to take from that ch- that that clock chance actually. For, from my point of view, when uh, when you look at it, the fact that we we did what we did down the right hand side, and 
I know we've been doing this thing where Hume tucks in as a as an extra midfielder, and there's been games. Um, I mean, actually, the Norwich game. I thought the amount of tackles that Hume made in the middle of the park in that game was brilliant, and it worked fine. But sometimes, I mean, in you know, in a scenario where you're you're dominating the opposition and you want to stretch the play, and especially when the ball goes out to Patrick Roberts, sometimes you want a fullback to be a fullback. Yeah, and you want him to you want him to go past the winger, and you want him to go on an overlap and give him an option, because that I mean, if Sir, you know, we've talked about Sirkin doing on the other side when when he's on the left, it gives Clark room because th- that run takes a player away. Yeah, but if if the fullback's not there, if he's trying to cover inside and be a central midfielder, he's trying to be a defensive midfielder, then we lose that. And you saw as soon as we got a fullback going beyond Roberts. He used him, and Hume was in, and Roberts did the business because if he's, if he's got runners ahead of him, Roberts will pick them out. He's yeah. he's, a, he's that good a player, and and Hume was in acres of space, and obviously when he when he gets to that byline, I think if it's not Rusin's second appearance or in the start of eleven, and if Rusin had already been here, you know if he'd had I don't know thirty fifty games under his belt, the connections there, and Hume knows where Rusin's going to be. Rusin knows where. Hume's going to put the ball, and that's a goal. Yeah, and it's it he doesn't obviously the the players with Rusin only making his second appearance, and all all the strikers really. It comes back to the point of a striker getting a run in the team. Yeah, yeah. That that players know how to react to them. Yeah, well, people keep asking what's the solution to all of this, and honestly, I think it's just sticking with Rusin. I think he made, he made some good runs, and he he seems to be doing all the right things. I mean, it, the chance he had in the first half was the best chance of the game for me, where he gets slipped in behind. He's one on one with the goalkeeper, and he 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 sort of loses his his footing a bit, and yeah, he opens his body up to shooting it. He puts it wide of the post, and he was kicking himself after that for a good five minutes. Yeah. Every time the camera panned to him, he was talking to himself, mumbling away. He was punching the ground went just after it you know he was because re- he, he he realized how big an opportunity that was to get off and running yeah i agree with what you just said by the way i think i think if if you give him a run of games that synergy is only going to build up and he will score i I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really confident with him and the team i look at him and i think he's got something about him actually but and, and i'm gonna i'll come back i'll come into this a bit more because I, I mentioned it earlier mowbray's comments after the game i listened to two interviews the one he did with the club and uh, the one he did did with BBC Newcastle, and I don't know about you, but to me it felt like this is probably the first time I've heard him sort of push a bit of responsibility to the forwards, particularly the strikers. In that he was asked about the the missed opportunities, and he said, "Well, we're doing everything right in training, and if you look at Clark and Roberts, they're they're getting in good positions and they're putting it across the box, but the strikers have to get on the end of it." And it was the first time I've heard him say that. He actually name-checked Rusin a couple of times in terms of you know his chances that he had and, and all the rest of it. And um, I don't know about you, but I find that really interesting that Mowbray's going down that, that road now. He, I feel like he's, he, he's sort of shrugging his shoulders now and going, I don't know what else to do here. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've, I've tried everything I can to get these lads into, uh, into the team and get the rest of the team working for them. And it, it just sort of, I don't know, he didn't come out and full-on blame them for not winning the game, but it did feel as though that there's been a sort of change in attitude with him towards that, that position in general. It's going to be interesting to see where he, where he goes from here in terms of selection, because we keep talking about Mayenda, and I know he's not played a game yet, but <laughs> I, I just I can't get this out of my head that he's just waiting for him to be fit. And, he, he you know, he, oh. I've, heard, I've heard him talk up other players and talk them up because he really rates them. 
I don't, I don't get that impression when he talks about Rusin and he talks about Burstow and he talks about him, yeah. Like, there's something not right there and he, I don't think he's having them, if I'm honest. Um, so, I don't know, you, you, I'm presuming you heard what he had to say. Yeah, well, look, it, it follows a theme this week um, with Tony Mowbray and I was, I was really quite shocked how much he came out during the week and laid into Hermia publicly. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was genuinely a bit shocked because he's always hinted at stuff, and it seemed like this week because of all the chatter with the strikers and our, you know, lack of a, a main focal point. And and look, we, we've said it on pods before that we're obvious. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to work out that we're a 15, 20 goal a strike striker short of fighting for the top two in this division. It's as simple as that. I'm not saying we'd uh, getting off to as, as good a start as Leicester or, or Ipswich, but we'd be solidly in that pack behind them, I think, um, if we had a 15, 20 goal um, striker. But it seems like Mowbray has, I don't know, I think he's just, he's hit a point this week where with all the chatter, everybody outside, the, the media, you know, fans, whatever, social media, probably doesn't read that, I guess. But, you know, talking about the strikers, the whole conversation is about strikers. And he seemed like he wanted he's wanted to get stuff off his chest this week. Yeah. Um, the whole Hamia conversation that he came out and publicly said, a bit like, and, bas- and described almost in detail what he's getting wrong. And he's, you know, so you're talking an 18, 19 year old striker who's come over from Portugal and you're talking like that in the press. And it seemed like he just, he almost seemed upset with his behavior. Obviously, mm. Mowbray comes from a place where that was never accepted and that was never acceptable in, in the dressing rooms he, he was in. And I just think he's, he, he lost it a little bit. And then when it came to the match, you know, 23 shots, wingers getting to the byline, fullbacks getting to the byline, and we haven't scored. And I think then he's, he's just, He's just followed that on because he looked absolutely sick as a chip after the game. I mean, he looked he looked he looked a bit down about it. I mean, you know, we all kind of were the a goalless draw that we had that much like we dominated that much. He's had a thing this week, and I think he's kind of right on the edge of really kind of losing it with <laughs> with the strikers now because because he's desperate. But the thing is, he he sees and he'll read the same stats as everyone else, and he, he knows his side better than we do. That. We're not far away. We're that close. I mean, Michael Duff came out after the game, said we're one of the best sides in the division. The Leicester manager said one of the best sides in the division. We do, all we need is that striker to, to score those 15, 20 goals. We're a different side. We're in a different position in the table. And Tony Mowbray knows it. And yeah. he's now he's now using any tools he's got in his locker in terms of psychology, because they're probably, as you said, they've done the work on the training pitch. It's all now getting into the players' heads to try and get them improved. But just quickly on Rusin, he said his movement's fantastic, you know, much improved in terms of what we had in the earlier part of the season. But the best thing I like about him is when he gets the ball to feet, he wants to turn and get yeah. in behind. He spins off defenders. And we haven't had that this season where we haven't had much opportunity to play a ball into feet because um, strikers haven't presented themselves. He he gets into decent positions and he likes it when a defender's up behind him because he rolls them. He won a couple of free kicks that way. He looked dangerous. He, he looked like he was going to turn them. And considering, again, look, considering that he's only... And we said as well that it'd be a completely different test for him because Norwich were crap and we, we were at home. And it was, but he, he still showed some good things. And um, yeah, I, I just think he's going to be one of them. The more games he plays, the better he'll get. Yeah. Just on Mowbray, do you think 
do you think he's taking it a bit too far with what he's saying publicly? Because I do, personally, and I, I refer yeah. back to that stuff with him. Yeah, I just don't know what benefit there is in telling the world he's basically unprofessional. Yeah. When he's yeah. that young. I, I My opinion is those conversations need to stay behind closed doors. Like, he's pre- and he will, I, I, I do not doubt he's had them. You know, I'm sure him has been made very much aware of uh, what he needs to change. But then when you've got like the local press asking you the same questions and you've then got an opportunity to talk about it, who does it benefit, really? Yeah. For, I, we don't need to know that him yet turns up last to training and he's the first one out the door. And we like, I don't have a problem with Mowbray getting at him for those things because I think it's totally right. Young players need to be reminded constantly about how to be as professional as they can. But I don't think the press need to know about it. I don't think we need to know mm. about it. You know, if this was a 28, 29-year-old lad, we'd sign for a lot of money, then I might feel differently about it. But when it's a kid, I don't know. And and it, I feel like sometimes he contradicts himself in a way because to me, if you're going to talk about a player in that manner, how are they getting on the pitch every week? You know, yeah. he's coming off the bench. He's bringing them on off the bench and things like that. And I think, well, he, you know, if he's, if he's doing everything wrong, like you seem to be suggesting, then... I don't understand how he keeps getting on the pitch. I feel similarly, you know, when he talks about Equa, he likes to remind everybody that he's quite lazy and laid back and, and all the rest of it. And I think, well, but he's, he's putting the performances in on a Saturday. I don't need to know, really. You don't need to tell, you don't need to caveat. When someone, like, to be honest, that one pissed us off a little bit because he was caveat and praise for Equa. Like, the, the guy asking the question was talking about how well he'd played. And he went, well, I have to slap him before he goes out and remind him how to work on it. Well, I don't need to hear that. Um, so do you, what do you think about just his general tone in these interviews? Because I'm, I've got to be honest, like, I, I just want him to shut up. <laughs> I, want him to, I want him to stop telling us all these things. Well, you're right. It's it's a complete contradiction. Because like you said, I, I, when I heard that, I thought he's lost it. He's lost it with Amir. Like he's completely... You know, week after week, day after day, Hamia's got this attitude. And th- this is just the impression I got from Mowbray talking, that he's got this attitude and Tony Mowbray has tried everything. And now the it, it's his last resort, because it has to be really to, to dig out an 18, 19-year-old kid in public that the way he's behaving, that when nobody really knows about it, it's not like everyone was like rumours were flying around, but he's come out and just opened up about it and it's got to be your last resort to get a player motivated. It has to be because you're not you're not just going to come out straight away and just say, "Oh yeah, he's he's been here two days. He's really un- unprofessional." So it's it, that has to come after a prolonged length of time where Hemi has just constantly had this attitude and done all of this stuff. And like you said, but if he if he has, you're absolutely right. If he has, then the carrot that he's dangling is a place in the match day squad. You behave like this. You don't get a place on the bench. It's as simple as that. And and then you know we're talking. I mean, when did when did he come on? I'm trying to look. You know, it was, he had early. About, it was like fifty five yeah, minutes, I think. Yeah, so it was t- ten minutes into the second half. And if Burstow's really professional in training and he's busting a gut, you bring him on. Yeah. You don't reward Hamia with behaving like you know whatever he's doing behind the scenes. If he's that bad that you've that you've dug him out in public in midweek. You don't give him 35 minutes on a Saturday. But then does that say, you know, nil-nil, 10 men, does that tell you how desperate Mowbray was for a goal, that he's going to bring someone who, on who he thinks got the wrong attitude? 
I mean, none of it really makes sense. It doesn't tie in. Like, for me, he would only dig Amir like out like that if he's not going to be in the match day squad. So it explains it. Yeah. But if you if you if you go in like that and then pick him, it doesn't make sense. So I I genuinely don't know. I mean, as you said, the only straw I can clutch at why Mowbray did it is that he's he's lost it with him and it's his last resort to go public with it. But at the same time, don't reward him with minutes on the pitch. Because Bursto and Amir are put in the same bucket. Like they're both kind of struggling. But if if Bursto's got the right attitude. He's got to be. He's got to be kind of at the the front of the queue. So yeah. I, I don't know. N- none of it really makes sense. Yeah. Well, the, he changed. We're talking about that. So he changed the shape of the team entirely because he felt it clearly felt it did it wasn't working. Whatever we were doing, but he took off Rusin, brought on him. Yeah, which I felt was a bit strange because when you need a goal, obviously you would like to think you know get two up there, have two strikers on the pitch. Instead, we we went with bringing off Job as well and bringing off um, Huggins. And sort of went with a back three, which made Clark play like a left wing back. Although he didn't have a lot of defending to do, but it was—I guess it was sort of the case of trying to get a load of attack midfield players on and create chances that way. But to be honest, Pritchard—he was help. He was sort of on the pitch to give Clark a hand on the left, and I, I presume to open up the space. You know, if he's out there on the left hand side occupying somebody, it gives Clark a little bit of room to fashion a chance. Maybe I didn't understand the Dak substitution. If I'm honest, I was. Just about to say that. Just he didn't do anything to be honest. He didn't offer, and this isn't the first time I felt this way about Bradley Dak. I'm sort of waiting to work out the point of him, really. Yeah. Like we know, we know he was Mowbray's signing, and he maybe maybe tried to justify it to himself why he was brought in. Yeah. Um, but other than that goal, other than that goal against uh, Southampton, we've not really seen much. And oh, she stayed on the bench. I know he's been injured. Yeah. Is but, he fit? Like if if he's fully fit, surely he comes on before Dak because. He looks like a player who can unlock a door when you know you've got players behind the ball. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I presume it's down to trust. Mowbray trusts Dak; he knows he can score goals. But I'm not saying it, if I'm honest. No. Um, you know, so yes, he made a lot of substitutes, but he totally changed the shape of the team. Ballard sort of limped off, and was Serkin came on. But I was surprised how late it took to bring Serkin on. Like, in my head, I was thinking, right, I'm trying to rationalise these changes. Pritchard's been brought on and he and he basically played out on the left most of the time with with Clark. So I'm thinking, right, he's been put there to support Jack Clark. But then I'm thinking, but you know, if you have Serkin on the pitch, he can do that and he can get beyond Clark and he can put crosses into the box. That's what I was, what my thought when I was thinking, right, we keep two strikers on the pitch, bring on Serkin, get some more bodies out wide who can cross the ball left footed and get the ball into the box that way as well because it was all coming down the right really. And we do we pick apart these things all the time, but you know it was it was just interesting that those were the changes he made. I know we've we spent quite a lot of time in recent weeks mulling over the the subs he makes because to be honest, on a on the whole, it doesn't feel like the subs he's making are working necessarily. I think we're in a bit of a period where we're like looking for impact from the bench and looking for Mowbray to change something. And I think you know against Norwich, his subs were largely good, but. In in general, this season they've been a bit. I, I don't know. They've they've been a bit strange. Like I just thought these were strange changes. Thought it was very early to make changes in the game. You'd obviously decided at half time he was going to do it. Sort of ten minutes in, we look very we look very slow with Pritchard and Dak up there. And I don't know. I think I think Rusin probably feels hard done by it. We've come off because he he didn't do anything wrong. Like he, I know he's not. Maybe they've looked at it and thought, yeah, he's not played a lot of football. You know, he maybe he doesn't want to 
we don't want to keep him on for too long. Well, fifty six minutes. I think he could have. I, th- I think he could have been the difference in some of those, particularly as the game went on, as the balls were fizzing across the box. You do need people with a striker's instinct. I know he missed a couple of chances earlier in the game, but that's not to say he wouldn't have been in the right place later in the game. And we lost that from him just not being there. I thought, and uh, yeah, funny changes. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, like as a ten minutes into the second half, you know, it was obvious. Mowbray just thought, well. They, they, nothing's changing and we're not you know uh, uh, he needs to freshen something up um like i said the, the, the dark one for me didn't make much sense other than he wanted to change the shape but for me if Oshish is fully fit he gets the nod before dak for me you know that was all about tony mowbray wanting dak on the pitch um like you said all down to trust he knows him and all that sort of stuff mm. the 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 Hamia substitution i don't I don't mind so much because when he brought because he did at the same time he's brought Pritchard on so it was yeah. like you know a triple substitution Dak Pritchard Hamia and although I don't disagree with you when you say two up front um because I'm old and I like two strikers up front <laughs> <laughs> I want I want the world to go back to when everyone played two strikers up front and um big man little man and all that sort of stuff I want I want the world to go back to to that time but at the same time. He's kind of changed the dimension of our play where he's got Pritchard on. Uh, he gets a striker in the box who, to be fair, in pre-season was winning some headers in the box. And if, we, if we're going to start putting the balls high and, you know, getting them getting on people's heads and knocking the balls in, then it kind of makes sense. Um, I don't mind him trying something different to, to break the deadlock. It's one of them. I mean, you, you know, he, he rolls the dice. The one that sticks out for me mainly is... is the Dak one. Um, other than that, I can kind of see what he's trying to do. Yeah, I, I say it's all in hindsight. I'm saying this all in hindsight. If it come off, I wouldn't be questioning his sub. The yeah, reason exactly. I am is it's because it, it didn't work. But um, yeah, I just think when you when you this is a very unique situation. They've got ten men. They've got no interest in getting out of the box. I, I'm just thinking, you know, we've got enough ball players on the pitch. We're going to get crosses in. We're going to create chances. So why not have more? Strikers on the pitch, even you know, Burstow, Burstow never even got on. I just think it was strange that we finished the game that way with like Hamir as the only striker on the pitch despite needing a goal. I just felt like with the chances we were creating, with you know, getting the ball wide, working it around the box, I would have personally got Circan on a lot earlier and, and tried it that way, you know, get more crosses in because Circan does that. Yeah. He gets beyond, he puts balls in, but yeah, all all coulda, woulda, shoulda, really. The other thing I want to mention was, um, just to scale back a little bit, going back to what Mowbray said after the game, and it was more so in the interview we did with Nick Barnes on BBC, is the fact that, we, you know, we're, we're going to be without both of our centre-halves next week because they both picked up yellow cards, which takes them both up to five yellows for the season and means they miss the next game, they're, they're automatically banned. He was... He, to be honest, he, he proper laid into them. I I felt like that's the most I've heard him lay into uh, 9 certainly, and Ballard, actually. Just basically saying that, you know, two lads with their experience and know-how should have managed it better. And he said that he'd spent a bit of time before he'd came out to do the interviews talking with them about that and the fact that they were daft to get booked. Because it puts us in a bad position next week. It means he's got to totally change the defence. That's been the... That's been the defensive pairing all season, and now next week he's got to go with something new. And he basically questioned them and their mentality for making tackles they didn't need to make. I think 09's booking came right near the end of the game. It was like 90 plus three. 
So all he had to do was, you know, finish out the next couple of minutes and O'Neill's playing next week, but now he's not. Fair enough in this case, I think, because and and and, and, and do you know what it is as well? Nick Barnes pointed this out. He, you know, O'Neill probably could have been booked a few more times before then. <laughs> you know, he, he gave the penalty away, which we haven't really talked about. You know, needless tussling in the box. You know me, I'm the biggest fan of Luke O'Neill there is. But that was stupid. That was stupid. He didn't need to put his hands on him. And I think anybody now watching our footage before games, you know, upcoming opponents, they're going to be like, right, if you're on 0-9 on corners, just let him wrestle it to the ground because he does it too often. That's the first time he's been caught, properly caught, but he does it too often. And then to get booked right at the end of the game was daft because actually I thought he played really well in the match. Like the way he plays out from the back, I don't think there's another centre-half in the Championship as good as him at receiving the ball and knowing where to put it. and link Because he's a midfield player by trade, so he's naturally good with the ball. He works really hard on those things off the pitch. So I thought his all-round performance was actually really, really decent. And he could have scored as well, that one that deflected onto him, forced a really good save out the goalkeeper. Yet we're coming away and we're talking about this because, rightly so, he let himself down a couple of times in the game with, with things that were nothing to do with the... The actual play, it was wrestling somebody on a corner and then getting himself a daft yellow with minutes to spare on the clock. Mm. So in this instance, I think Mowbray is justified in criticising them because you expect better. But at the same time, I'm kind of looking at it through the eyes I was looking at the other stuff and I'm thinking, well, you've just said that you had this conversation with them in the dressing room. Did you need to come out and berate them publicly? You know, it's a, it's a tough one because he's he's obviously pissed off straight after the game. Yeah. Having realised, look, I've got both me centre halves missing next week. After that performance as well, he's you know I, I kind of understand the frustration from him. Well, look, you you know how much I I like O nine. Um, I'm not he's uh he's number one fan. Um, because that that mantle goes to you, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not I'm not quite <laughs> I'm not quite at your levels. But I I think look, he's been fantastic. You know, and as you said, I mean, I've always bang the drum for how how he dictates the tempo of how we play out from the back and um and and I like him in there but that let let's you know let's start with the penalty that has been a penalty that has been waiting to be given for weeks yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks probably since the start of the season one thing that there's been a huge change in O'Nine this season and and he looks different after the summer he's he seems to have worked so much on like his upper body strength and he looks, we talked about this earlier in the season, and he just looks different. His frame looks different, but he looks he looks a yard slower than he was a year ago. Like mm. he seems to have gone for bulk. He seems to be wanting to be really strong, which is fine. That's that's what a centre half should be. But I think because of it, he's lost half a yard of pace. But let's focus on the penalty. Like I said, that penalty could have been given in any game, I think, this season, because that's happened. That a moment like that of a corner has happened. Maybe though, I was thinking that some of it is coming out of desperation of how we defend corners. Like they want to be, they want to be so good because we've had so much criticism. Look, they've probably talked, they've probably talked about it for hours and hours. Meetings talking about defending corners out on the training pitch. This is how we want to defend corners, and it's. It, I think you, you saw Ballard as well because Ballard was in that mix where they were pushing each other and shoving each other and all that sort of stuff. And I think there's a proper desperation to be to improve on defending corners, and I think some of it comes out of that where they just want to be better, but it makes them cross the line. And there was there was no way we could um, 
it, it even went beyond the, the normal kind of pushing and pulling. He basically just chucked him to one side and you can't get away. The referee gets a sniff of that. It's it's a penalty and, and it absolutely was. But yeah, I mean, the, the yellow cards, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, we're talking about the red cards. I mean, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not convinced either of them. I would be, I'd be absolutely fuming if a Sunderland player got sent off for two tackles like that for two yellow cards. So the referee was given them. Um, you see that, you know, you adjust your game. You you know, you, you watch what you're doing. Well, Mo- but, Mowbray, uh, Mowbray sort of hinted at the referee maybe wanting to even it up, which is why he took Rusin off. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, maybe there was that. I mean, like I said, that Rusin had, Rusin had been booked for something. That's another thing he dug him out for. Actually, he said it was he called it, he said it was stupid because what he did was he he stood in the way of a quick free kick and got a yellow card yeah. um, in the first half. Yeah. But he, he was kind of but- uh, so. Uh, do you know when we were talking about that before? I've totally forgot about that. But I still would have left him on the pitch. I don't, you know, when we're totally on top, you're not going to be, you, you shouldn't really be giving mm. yellow cards away when they're not wanting the ball. When are you really in a position to tackle, you know? That's what yeah. frustrates us about that 0-9 one at the, at the end of the game. And, and like Mowbray said, you know, there's no need for it really. No. No, it, it well, I, I, 9 went over to the lad and almost patted him on the back, almost as like, yeah, we've we've seen a few of them, mate, don't worry, like crap decisions Like yeah. when the lad got sent off. So 9 was kind of, yeah, that this ref's a bit weird and he's going to give some dodgy yellow cards. So 9 saw, saw what was going on. The one other thing I wanted to mention about 9 and um, I'd, I'd just skip ahead slightly, uh, we can come back, but just in the second half, just because we're on the subject of 9 with all the attacking players on the pitch, What's Lugo Nine doing taking free kick from the edge of the box? That was odd, yeah. I mean, Pritchard wasn't on the pitch, um, so they may no. be looking at but But you had Clark and Robert he, he hit the bar. It. He hit the bar from like the same, almost the same position yeah. in the first half. And then suddenly Lugo Nine smashing it over the crossbar. And then you saw some of the players' reactions. It was like, oh, you know, what did he take that for? I just didn't get it. It was just, just a bizarre moment. Unless just, he's been smashing them in in training or something and... Well, you'd like to think so, yeah. or else he just, I'm the captain and I'm having this one. I don't know, yeah. it's just weird. To be honest, I've often thought, would he be any good at, at, at free kicks? Because he does spend that long working on things. You wouldn't be surprised if he's actually half decent. But that was poor. I mean, he, you know, it was a weird... Do you know where, though, where he took it from was a even a good free kick take. I might struggle to get it up and down from there. But he sort of like side footed it straight over the bar. It was it looked like a centre half take the free kick, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. It was interesting as well. I was watching just the side note. I was watching match of the day, and uh, Lewis Dunk took one for Brighton, and he actually forced a really good save uh, out of Pickford. So maybe it's just a new thing that centre halves have started taking free kicks. I don't know. I remember David Louise taking them? He was quite good at them, wasn't he? The the old yeah. uh, the old knuckleball technique. Anyways, or, anyways, or, or nine uh, wasn't. Yeah, we're, we're going off. We're going off tangent slightly here. But yeah, I mean, the, to be honest, the story of the game was just that. It was just frustration. Afterwards, our my assessment mainly was that I, I actually thought we did just about collectively. I think we did just about everything we could to try and force something, and it just didn't happen. You know, we would we we changed the way we set up. It wasn't for lack of effort, to put it that way. You know, we've got to talk about the one, the ones where we came close. You just mentioned there, Clark hitting the the, the bar from a free kick, so it sort of you know scraped the top of it. But the one where we came closest was the Abdullah Bar shot, where he had a oh that was that was brilliant. Yeah, he played like a nice little one too. I think with I think with Roberts or Neil, I can't remember, but he mm. it, it was it was lovely. It was a left footed curler from sort of a, a an odd position, but it got it. It didn't go in because it was mm. it was a fantastic strike. But to be honest, the fact that we're talking about that sort of tells you the story of the game. Like, 
we were running out of ideas and we were just trying different things. And like I say, I don't I don't necessarily criticise the players for that. I think we just looked a bit desperate. And one of the things Dan Neal and Mowbray both talked about after the game was that we need to work on how we deal with going down to the opposition, going down to 10 men. Because it's not the first time where a team's went down to 10 men against us and we've we've not really had an answer for it. And, and yeah. I said it, I think it was one of the first things I said when we started recording. If this had been 11v11, I think we would have won. We don't seem to have a plan for how we break down teams with 10 men, which when we played Middlesbrough the other week, they decimated us and clearly had an idea of what to do. We just didn't in this. Yeah, well, again, I mean, back to where we started, you have to you have to talk about Swansea a little bit. But I actually go back to the QPR game. Like what we did against QPR, which I, I didn't really see us doing as much in this game, was we, we made the pitch as wide as possible. We basically had players who were hugging the touchline to stretch their players out. That, that all comes down the to the subs, out. doesn't it? When you look at it, he brought yeah. on Dak, he brought on Pritchard, he didn't bring yeah. on Cirque until late. We did, like, exactly. that's what I, when we were talking about it before, that was what I was thinking. I'm thinking, well, he's brought on loads of number 10s, loads of sort of central players. <laughs> yeah, we didn't stretch it enough. What we did against QPR, that's the way to play against 10 men. And and it was same as what Borough did to us. They had that, um, I can't remember the, the, they had a winger who basically hugged the touchline. Isaiah Jones us, on the on the right yeah, wing. And, yeah, and he did us did us every time because they stretched the play and then switched it. So it was always left a one one on one every time. And that's what you do. You overload. And and actually we start just after the sending off, we actually started off doing that a little bit. Like in that first half, like the 10, yeah. 15 minutes after. We actually did that and we had an overload on uh, a couple of times on the right hand side because we switched it quickly and we spread the play uh, and we stretched it. And Swansea weren't quite as organized then because they were playing, trying to work it out as they went along until they got in at half time. But we started doing that. And then second half, we we just stopped. We kind of stopped doing that. And as you said, it, we ran out of ideas by trying to do the same thing time and time again. And then when you said when we changed the system, Go, you go down the centre and you, you kind of it gets a bit muddled. But yeah, I mean, look, we did it before against QPR. Um, uh, QPR weren't as organised as Swansea. I thought Swansea were much better than them. But having said that, we didn't look like we 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 had a plan to pull Swansea's players out of position. And and that's what that's what you need to do when you're when you're a man up. Yep. And uh, yeah, we we just didn't find a way through. There was nine minutes of added time. We kept plugging away. Like I said, we had that late chance where 9 nearly scored. But, you know, there was nothing There was nothing really towards the end of the game where you thought we're going to score here. It was just sort of trying to chuck whatever we could at it. And all we're doing is coming away with with more questions and answers, really. And that, that was the theme of the sort of discussion from, from let's like say, from Mowbray, from Neil. Who, those were the two who were put out of the press, obviously. And it, it makes next week interesting. And we will do a preview during the week, but... You know, we've got this Birmingham game, which is a is a strange one, given that, you know, we've got Wayne Rooney in their dugout. We talked about that the other day. Wayne Rooney in their dugout and all the circus that comes along with that. They, they've had a poor start under him, to be fair. They were, I think they were 2-0 up against Ipswich at the weekend and then tossed it away, end up drawing twos each. You look, you've got to look at this game and think, like, oh, we've got, to, we've got to win this. But coming out of this Swansea game, we're, just, we're still thinking about who's going to play up front, you know, what what's the sort of mood in the camp like? Is he going to bring in Circan for the next game? All these things we've we've got like quite a lot of uh, sort of questions coming out of this game, and 
I'm just interested in what the mood's going to be like through the week with training and stuff with regards to that. Because really, you know, you look at our form. Look, the, we can explain all of them, but since we beat Watford, we, we've lost to Borough, we've lost to Stoke, we've lost to Leicester, we beat Norwich and then we've drawn a game we should have won. So that's one win in five games, four points. We've, we've got to try and just move on and, and win this next game because then we've got another two-week break. So it's like all all this negativity coming out of this game we should have won. We've got to somehow get it out of our heads, haven't we? Um, yes and no, but I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, again, Tony Mowbray did look miffed off, but I think that was an immediate. Oh, I, I, I want, I want, I want to shoot myself in the head after I heard him talk. Oh no, exactly. But I think that I was mean, an he immediate. Makes, he makes me feel like that most of the time, like, but um, especially <laughs> but so after I, this one. That, that that was an immediate reaction, and he he was. He knew that we should have won that game, and I think he was just miffed off. But you know, and the, when they get back to it and they really take a look at it, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I feel perfectly fine with it. I mean, you're talking about this run, but Borough, you know, red card, Stoke, that was the oh, one. Yeah, yeah. We I, talked I, about I it. All, yeah, Leicester I all did well, it's Norwich just... did well. So I mean, yeah. I think, and look, we you're talking about progress. We've gone away to a side, and I think they were looking for their sixth win in eight or something like that. They were, they. they half decent kind of form and you look again at just the general progress we've gone away to Swansea City with no mugs they're a well-organized side they they kind of wiped the floor with us in the first half last season and deserved three points off us at their place last year and we've I mean you're talking about before the red card absolutely dominated there was only going to be one team who won that game when you're talking about yeah okay it was it was probably skewed a little bit by the sending off. We had 70, 71% possession, I think. But I think without the red card, we have 60 plus, 60, 65% possession easy, if not if not up to 70 like we did with when we were a man up. We completely dominated that game. We've gone to a decent side and we are the better, better side. And look, when the keeper makes that save from Roberts when it comes off the post, an inch the other way and it comes off the inside of the post and it spins in the back of the net and then we're 1-0 and that's it, we've won that game and it's fine margins It's and it's football, I mean we've all you have that game where you have one chance at nick it and the other opposition have 30 shots and 80% possession and all this sort of stuff or it ends up 0-0 and all that sort of stuff, it's football these games happen and I just think the fact that we, we kind of dominated this game and we should have won and we're disappointed with going to Swansea City and, and coming away with a nil-nil draw, you know, and you know, I might, I might be kind of people might uh, claim happy clapping and all that sort of stuff, but I just think it's progress. And 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 I, in this run, and I think it, you're right. I think a lot of the reaction is skewed a little bit because we're talking about one win in five and all this sort of stuff. But you look, as I just said, you could rattle through those games, and there's only the Stoke City game you can look at and go. That was that was bad. If it was a run of four or five performances where you go, we yeah. we've been we've been crap for weeks. If you could say that, yeah, yeah. I'd be worried. I'd be thinking, shit, you know, we're we're going in the wrong direction. Something's not quite right here. But I don't think that at all. I think I think you know we're making progress. There's things to work on. As I said earlier, you know, with that striker, we're a much better team. I think Rusin getting the games, getting the minutes on the pitch, him staying in the side. I think he he'll get better and better. I'm I'm absolutely fine, and I think you know, yeah. You talked about the Rooney effect and all that sort of stuff. He hasn't had much effect quite yet, um, but uh, <laughs> but I think we'll do them, and I, I think it'll be another Norwich City, and and you know we'll do the preview and all this sort of stuff. But 
my feeling about that comes out of I'm not concerned because in the main the performances have been there and it was here. We you know we we nick a goal in this one and look we were inches away. I mean the keeper makes a couple of brilliant saves first half. You know, like I said, an inch the other way, ball spins in, we go one nil up and we coast the rest of the game and everyone's going, aren't we brilliant? But the thing is, everyone would say, aren't we brilliant? But the only difference is, is that we hit the back of the net, but the performance is exactly the same. So it's a fine line between everyone saying, ah, oh, it was a bit crap, but you know, we should have won that. But if we're just getting a goal, but the performance was exactly the same, people are talking about it completely differently. Yeah. So let's talk about the performance Let's talk about the performance and what that is, regardless of kind of whether we managed to nick that goal, because the performance is good and it's plenty to work on. Good place to end that. Cheers, mate. Thanks for <laughs> no bringing problem. us back up a little bit. Uh, we'll, I had to we'll point. The, yeah, well, we'll be back with a preview during the week. Uh, don't forget to buy our book. You can get the link for that on all our social media. Top of all the articles, SEFC365, which is available for £10 from the Love Supreme shop, both online and in store. Make sure you grab yourself a copy of that. All profits go to Southern Community Soup Kitchen. I don't have any other plugs, so all that's left to say <laughs> is uh, cheers, mate. Thanks very much. No worries. Just the listeners, we'll be back during the week. See you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.